Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning, and the sun is peeking out. Maybe it'll warm up a little bit. We got some cold weather coming in, and that's going to... That's going to change everything for hunting and fishing over the next few weeks, but not necessarily in a bad way. We're going to cover a lot of that today and tell you what's going on. You might find there's some really, really great opportunities. If you're listening, you hear that my voice is a little bit froggy. I uh, got a cold, so joining me in studio is my safety net today is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to talk a lot of fishing today. Absolutely. We're going to talk some hunting and shooting. Uh but this weather does change things, doesn't it? Absolutely. And like you mentioned, it really can turn some things on, actually, this time of year. So, you know, as, as a guide and fisherman in this state, this cold weather in the fall is, is a, a welcome relief from the heat. Well, and, you know, in the, uh, in, in the spring, if you get a cold front where the temperature drops 20 or 30 degrees from what it had been, you know, not night to day, but day to day, you know, it just shuts it down. You get yeah, those yeah. cold fronts, the fish quit being active. It, but in the fall, it has just the opposite effect. And there's a few things going on. The trout get more comfortable. We'll talk about some of that. Definitely. The, the prey fish become more vulnerable, especially the shad. And that turns on one of the most predictable bites you can capitalize on up and down the front range for warm water species. Absolutely. So there's just going to be a lot going on and a lot to talk about. We're going to be joined during the course of the program by other anglers, but let's get into this a little bit. First, let's talk Let's talk about just basic getting out, maybe you taking the kids. Uh, because the waters up and down the front range are cooling, they're being stocked with a lot of trout right now. Definitely. And the trout that are left over, the bigger trout, the holdover trout, are moving closer to shore because they go, you know, people think, well, I can't catch trout at Chatfield. I can't catch trout at Cherry Creek. During the summer when that water is warm, those fish are uncomfortable. They go deep, but that's going to change, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, with these cooler temperatures, not only with the trout, but other species will start moving up shallower to eat. Um, But anglers right on the shoreline have a fantastic opportunity to catch some really nice fish across the front range. You know, I always talk to folks about Chadfield that, you know, that lake is really a sleeper lake for large trout and Aurora is well known for a, a large trout lake. So those fish are going to move from that deeper water out in that main basin up to the shallower areas to look to feed on on various prey species, whether it be shad or perch or or in, uh, various aquatic insects. Uh, but, you know, shore anglers can have a lot of success going out and fishing in a variety of different ways. Well, these front-range lakes have produced, I think for Karen and I both, probably the biggest rainbows we've ever caught. She caught a huge rainbow right off the shore at Carter Lake a couple of years ago. Um, Ronnie Castiglione catches these big rainbows out at Horsetooth. Now they're starting to be called out a little bit yeah. because they were they're not stocked very heavily. But the same thing is true, like you said in Chatfield. I've caught just big, big rainbows in Chatfield. I've caught some nice ones in Cherry Creek, although I don't catch as many big rainbows in Cherry Creek. No, I think that lake is just a little bit too shallow to be able to really have a lot of big trout hold over. You know, Chatfield on a, on a full year. Granted, it's going to be a little bit different when they raise it uh, coming up this next. Year, but it's roughly 70 feet deep so those fish have an area to go down and and escape that that warm temperature whereas at cherry creek with it only being in the mid 20s as far as depth is concerned 
it is just too warm to hold a lot of big trout but at the same rate they stock a lot of them this time of year and if you're looking to just go have some great action it's a, a good place to go well and when the when they do stock them uh, unlike Chatfield, where there is some depth, it's hard for those trout to get away from some of the other teeth in the lake uh-huh. too. I think they become, I think they become prey fish, and you know that's why you have a chance when you're fishing for those trout. You might catch a big walleye or something oh, yeah. in the same same area as that, or a big catfish even. Absolutely, yeah, and it's... and we actually caught a, a trout the other day out there that had some pretty significant marks on on his underside. So it definitely wasn't a bird. But uh, some other species tried to get at him, so yeah. it's definitely so, true. So if somebody came in, by the way, Austin, you're from uh, uh, Discount Tackle. Tell people where it's located. Yeah, we're just south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. So, you know, pretty centrally located as far as Denver is concerned. And you guide on all these front lakes. I do, yes. So we have been really taking advantage of this bite. So let's talk right now. If somebody, well, we're going to talk about the walleyes. <clears throat> Excuse me. But let's talk about this bite. Somebody came in the, the, the store right now, wanted to go trout fishing. What, which places would you send them and what would you set them up with? So Aurora is one of my favorites in the metro area. It offers really good trout fishing out there with some nice sized fish. Um, you know, additionally, Chatfield firing off here can be really good, especially once the, the water temperature cools after this, this cold front over the next five or six days here. But in general, a second rod stamp is the first thing that I try and make sure somebody has because you can go out there and, and throw a bait line, whether it be something like a, a dough bait, for, you know, a power bait type dough bait or, or switching over over to some live minnows, you know, you can catch a variety of different species on something like a live minnow. So it's one of my favorite ways to go as far as casting a bait line out. But then secondarily, throwing something, um, you know, like a Castmaster or, or a Johnson Splinter Spoon can be really good. Uh, something that offers a little bit better casting distance. Now, the other thing that I like to talk about is the fact that these trout are very seasoned on eating shad. So fishing something that's generally shad-colored, flashy tends to do better rather than thinking about fishing up in the mountains where you're throwing you know a little brown trout imitation or something so going more shad oriented is is a really good way to go well and i think you're absolutely right and i also like if you're specifically going after the trout the power bait you mentioned actually you you can't chum in colorado no but power bait does chum it's legal though because you're putting it on a hook that scent is going to get in the water and now you fish your other lure around there and it's attracting fish you'll get some of that with bait too and if you're not going to use that or a live minnow then a night crawler sure that night crawler because if there's perch and the trout will eat it a bass will eat it a walleye will eat it so you're right one bait line and do you tell them to fish that bait on the bottom or below a bobber or depending? It all depends upon the, 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 you know, the specific time of year. You know, if you're having, you know, late summer or excuse me, late, uh, late fall here where you're having fish that are up high, especially once they've got stocked, you know, a float can be really productive. Uh, and also if you're fishing in areas where there's any type of rocks, particularly a slip bobber can work really well because you can hold your bait right in the perfect position and even fish things like small ice jigs tipped with a mealworm or a waxworm and, and do really well, uh, you know, especially if you have any type of wind or anything right along your, the edges of your shoreline. But if you're on more of a sandy bottom, especially if the water temperature is still just a little bit warmer, going more on, on a bottom rig is a pretty good way uh, to go just, just because you're, you're being able to focus on those fish that aren't necessarily up high in the water column. And I think you're absolutely right. Let's move on, and we'll cover this more later, but I want to start touching on the warm water species too, especially fish like walleyes, wipers that, <clears throat> excuse me, these shad, what happens, folks, is when these temperatures drop, 
these shad, first of all, they're starting to school up for the fall anyway, and they may come shallow to feed on plankton and things like that. But once these temperatures start to drop, they become very vulnerable and stressed. In fact, a lot of them die. Yes, they do. And they become very vulnerable. How do you approach that when that's happening? Well, right now, we're still seeing a lot of shad that are fairly spread out at the moment. They aren't in really big schools, uh, you know, so it's really separating these, these walleyes out a lot over the course of the water. Now, when it gets colder, it's going to force these shad closer to the bottom, and they'll, they're going to school up even heavier. So when that happens, I'm going to be throwing things like jigging wraps, blade baits, and jigging spoons to these fish. So you and I have certainly talked before, and the jigging wrap is one of my absolute favorite ways to catch fish throughout the season. But in the fall, it really does excel. So you can you, you know, really imitate a dying bait fish extraordinarily well utilizing one of those jigging wraps. And then the other thing that you can do as well is when you have a lot of bait fish in the water, there's so much food for these fish to eat. They're not necessarily eating out of hunger, but if you can get them to react to something, it is so, so productive because those fish aren't necessarily biting something like a live minnow that's sitting out there. But if you snap a jigging spoon or a jigging wrap past their face, it's just an instinctual reaction to be able to go and and swipe at those baits. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's been a funny fall. Really has. Usually by this year, even if we have warmer days, the nights have been cooler, mm-hmm. and we've seen the water cool down more than it has. So we haven't, we've been slow into this transition. In fact, you were on the water this week. What were you seeing before this cold front came in? Well, water temperatures in the afternoon are in the neighborhood of 65 degrees at the moment. So that's, that's uncharacteristically warm for the first part of October. And it's, it's making the bite a little bit difficult at the moment. Uh, granted, you know, we are seeing some really nice fish uh, mixed in, but... In general, these fish are so spread out that it's tough to really pinpoint a large group of them. You know, you're, I'm utilizing my sonar as usual, but instead of you know looking for a big pile or stack of fish, you're marking two or three fish here and there. They just aren't really stacked up. So it, it's a lot of casting, a lot of moving, and a lot of what, what we kind of call strolling as well, where we're able to utilize a, a blade bait or a jigging wrap and, and use my trolling motor to cover some ground rather than sitting and casting on a specific area. So you can move and, and find active fish over a long expanse rather than just on one specific spot. Now, I think probably we're going to see that change with Definitely. this cold weather. Not only will the fish... They may be attracted to a spot because the bait fish may be gathered against the point or hump. But what you're really going to be looking for going into these next few uh, weeks on your sonar are actually balls of shad. Definitely. And find those shad and do those presentations. You talked about the fact that reaction bite. Uh, Tom Bruno and I were down at Pueblo, and this should start taking off. We'll talk more about that later in the show. But the spoon bite is very predictable down there. It really is. And we were doing an article for In Fisherman. I was writing an article, and we were down there. There was three of us in the boat. And we were catching both walleyes and wipers and an occasional uh, smallmouth bass on jigging spoons. A flea fly jigging spoons are about half-ounce jigging yep. spoon. Yep. And as fast as we could jig them. We had some shiners we brought with. They were almost the same size as the schooling shad. Uh-huh. We took some of the, We took one of those shiners and and put it down and pinned it right where those fish were with a weight. So it was swimming freely right where those fish were eating. Never got hit once, and we continued to catch fish on those spoons. I've seen the same exact thing. You know, people 
are, are so accustomed to walleye fishing with bait throughout the entire summer that a lot of my clients will even question me when I don't have any bait in the boat and we're fishing artificials all day. Whereas, you know, you, you have to really remind them that, okay, if you go and put a slip bobber down on this same type of a spot here, finding active fish... That slip bobber with a shiner is probably not going to catch very many fish for you over the course of the day. Whereas a jigging wrap or a jigging spoon or a blade that's that's ripped or or worked along the bottom even a little bit uh, can can outperform a live bait presentation ten to one. And I think even even before these shad were schooling up, you probably were doing well with crankbaits. We were, and those fish they were uh, you know they're up higher in the water column. Those shad were right up near the surface. And those walleyes were picking them off right underneath the surface. And instead of trolling a little bit deeper like you would normally do, we were running these baits behind uh, planer boards at a ridiculously close uh, distance. So, I mean, even 10 feet back from some of these planer boards with those shad up higher in the water column. But now these fish are sliding down a little bit more into the water column, and the trolling bite has not been nearly as effective, and that typically runs true this time of year. Before we run out of time here, I understand you got a, one or two pretty decent walleyes this last week, too. We Tell, did. What kind of size are you well, talking about? Well, we were fortunate enough uh, a couple of days ago to stick a 29-and-a-half-incher out of Cherry Creek. So it a 29-and-a-incher uh, at Cherry Creek is probably, what, an 11-pound fish because they're was, so it was fat. A thick fish, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you normally think a 30-inch fish is about 10 pounds. Yeah. But the way they eat at Cherry Creek is probably <laughs> 11 or 12, I mean, because they have big bellies on them. Yeah, she was a big fish, and, you know, we got a quick picture of her and, and sent her right back. And, you know, the interesting thing about this fish, actually, as well, is she had a, a clipped fin from this spring uh, on her tail. So she was part of the spawning operation this year. So. That's awesome. I might take test. We'll ask you later in the show maybe how you caught that. We're going to take <laughs> a break. We're going to talk to a couple of the parks people about a couple subjects. And then we're going to talk more fishing. Brad Peterson's going to join us. Um, we've got other guests joining us. And uh, Austin and I are going to talk more fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sandy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. My SpecialMortgage.com on the web, 303-790-2222, the phone number, SCO Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 12007161. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Jason Clay. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it looks like it. even though it's going to be a little cool, it's a beautiful day. By the way, I have Austin Parr in studio with me. Hey, Austin. How are you, do- how are you doing, Jason? I'm but, great. Thanks for having me on this morning. But, you know, we were just talking how this cooling weather triggers fish and gets them going. It affects other wildlife the same way. These temperatures start to drop, and they start sensing winters there. And bears in particular, what do they eat, about 20,000 calories a day or something to get ready? Yeah, but we eat upwards of that and be active for 20 of the 24 hours a day. We call it their hyperphagia stage. And they're work, working to pack on the pounds to, to add up their fat stores so they can survive a winter. 
No, you're absolutely right. And we have a very robust bear population in Colorado, and we're fortunate you get to see a lot of bears. And black bears, for the most part, are pretty timid, and they don't cause a lot of trouble with interaction until they start associating people with food and coming into places. And this time of the year, it can really uh, rear its head. And I would think especially with the dry weather we've had, it could be even a larger problem this fall than usual. It, it can be. What we've kind of seen a lot this fall, uh, one, our, our bears have been very active up and down, uh, you know, speaking in the, um, the front range in particular, uh, they can be very active. We've seen, um, despite, you know, the, the talk of drought and weather and rain, there's actually been a good amount of, of natural food sources for bears. Our uh, fruit trees, apple trees um, have produced a lot of fruit that these bears have been feeding on. And that's kind of what we want. We want them going after their natural food sources instead of trying to get into some human food sources, whether that be people's trash, bird feeders, uh, you know, dog food that could have been left outside, things of that nature. So uh, we're, we're kind of glad in some regard that their natural food sources have been abundant this year but they're going to be very active looking for any type of food. So that doesn't mean that just because we're getting later into the fall that we can kind of let our guard down when, when we're trying to be bear aware in, in our state. Well, you're absolutely right. And with the growth in population and so many people wanting to live in rural areas, in the foothills, in the mountains, more people are exposed to bears just because of their location. And even in town, you have to be aware. Didn't you have a bear that just came in somewhere up in the northern part of the town here, Westminster? Yeah, we had a bear in Westminster early in August. Um, it was pretty much all the way over to I-25. So um, despite the density in the, the residential areas that we have in the Denver metro area, these bears can get around, and they're just searching for food. That one in particular bear um, was going after, I believe it was uh, crab apples in someone's yard when we uh, ended up relocating that bear back into the mountains. So uh, just because you think maybe I live deep in the city um, doesn't mean that a, a bear or any other animal. We had a, we had an elk in Centennial uh, earlier as well. So these animals can make their way into the into the heart of the city. Let's say, you mentioned a few, but especially for people in bear country, but if you're in the suburbs or if you're anywhere near where you might have a chance at a bear, let's go through some of the things that attract them. First of all, they can smell some of this stuff from miles away, can't they? Absolutely. Uh, tremendous sense of smell. Um, if you're, we could talk about cars. If, if your car is pretty much empty, but you have a chapstick in there, that bear will smell it and more than likely will try to break in to, to get to that smell as they, they follow their noses. they got great noses and they're very smart. They always remember a food source. So if they get rewarded at your property for whatever that may be, trash, bird seed, uh, even, you know, apple, your apple tree maybe, that bear will remember that this place is a food source and it will come back. Well, and you know, one thing about cars, they're a lot better at getting in them than they are at getting out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. A a closed door. The the bears are smart. They know how to open a door handle. And even like in your home, if you have uh, a handle instead of a knob, they understand how to get in there. So it's important, one, to keep your cars and your, your doors locked. But then, two, uh, you know, very powerful animals. They can bend a locked door back to get themselves in. So it's, it is best to, to be safe and not keep those attractants around 
to entice these bears into your property. And you don't, I mean, nobody wants to have that kind of damage to whether their car, their garage, or their home of a bear getting in because they, they just destroy everything. Well, you mentioned bird feeders, and we all love to see the birds come. And I know at my house we have uh, hummingbird feeders that my wife has taken in. Uh, hummingbird feeders, because there's a lot of sugar in that, it's got it's high mm-hmm. calorie, but they can smell, even the seeds are very high calorie caloric count and uh people wait till the bears hibernate then put out your seed type uh feeders because the birds don't even need the seed right now and you might attract bears you mentioned dog food dog food is another another one that people they like to feed their dogs outside they leave the dish trash of course if you're in an area have the right kind of trash cans or keep it locked in the garage grills are one people cook on their grill and they don't clean them and they'll smell that food on the grill um, those are some of the major things that really seem to attract birds to a residential, I am bears to a residential area, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, grills are a big one. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, if, just looking at, you know, some numbers, uh, if you have a seven-pound bag of bird feed, that's 12,000 calories to a bear. If you got a big um, dog, uh, big bag of dog food, 25 pounds, that's four, over 40,000 calories and if they're eating up to, you know, for the bears, it's, it's a calorie gain. It's their risk-reward when they need to pack on these pounds. They will take a higher risk to get into places that maybe they normally wouldn't to get these calories this time of year. Now let's let's um, let's go over a couple scenarios while we've got a few minutes left. I and mean, I think we've gone over a lot of this, what attracts bears and things. But let's first say, let's do a bear that comes into your yard, and let's talk about a bear you might encounter in the wild. So a bear comes into your yard, what should you do? He's in your backyard, he's by your garage, he's by your car. First thing I imagine is call Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, call Parks and Wildlife. You can let us know. Uh, you could call your, your local authorities or the Colorado State Patrol, and they will alert us. That is always a good thing, so we can make sure that these bears are um, not getting into any trouble. And, you know, that, the safety factor, keep keep pets and animals and, and humans safe, and keep these bears safe is, is a big thing as well. No. Um, but but the, the main thing is just for if they come into kind of like your, your yard, or around your home, the main thing we want is to teach these bears that they're not welcome. Bears that get too comfortable around people can destroy property like we've just talked about or become a a threat to human safety. Uh, You know, a lot of times habituated bears often can be destroyed. So things that you can do, you see a bear, grab your pots and pans, go out and bang on them together, yell at that bear. Because a bear's natural instinct is they don't want to be around humans, so they hear that, they'll run away. You can keep air horns um, to to use at the car. Use your uh, hit the panic button if it's like say around your garage, so your your car alarm goes off. Things like that. Just don't let that bear feel comfortable. And like I said, teach them that they're not welcome around your property. Now, what if I'm in the wild? Um, you know the. You're going to see that the, the the two-year-old cubs have left their mom this year, but the one-year-olds mm-hmm. are still with her. Uh, it's not like spring with the little cubs. They've got some size to them now. But suppose I see a bear, whether it's a lone bear or a, or a mama with the, 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 the older cubs. How should I react to that bear when I'm in the wild or on a trail? Yeah, so if you were to surprise a bear on a trail, uh, we would recommend that you stand still, stay calm, and let the bear identify you, and most of the times that bear will leave on its own. Talk to that bear in a normal tone of voice. Be sure that the bear has an escape route. Um, you would never want to run or climb up a tree. If you run, 
um, could trigger some natural instinct from that bear to want to chase you. Um, bears are super good climbers, so if you go up a tree, they can come right after you. And as you were saying, if you see um, a sow with cubs, just know that mother is usually close by, and that's an area that you want to leave immediately because you don't want to get caught in between uh, the cubs and, and their mother. And I think the biggest thing for people to remember is we don't, we only have black bears in Colorado and they tend to be, they tend to be very timid. They're not an aggressive bear unless something else is going on. So most of the time, if you, like you said, identify yourself, if they know your presence, if you're talking, if you're not running, if you, if you stay calm and don't panic, most of the time they're going to wander away because unless there's some overwhelming food source there, they just really don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, and a lot of times they'll smell you or they'll hear you before you would come up upon that bear. Now, if they're buried in a, in a great food source, maybe maybe they won't get away right away, and that's when it could happen. But, you know, even little things, you could take your keys out of your pocket and, and jingle them. We see our wildlife officers that would use that simple tactic um, before trying to get onto other stuff. So just those simple noises uh, to help that bear um, know that you're here and that you're, you know, and let it identify you as a human. Um, just going back to kind of more of the black bear stuff, um, you're right, only black bears, but the, our Colorado's black bears, we'll see them. Uh, they can be blonde, they can be brown, they can be cinnamon, and they can be black. So just because you see maybe a, a cinnamon uh, bear, you don't have to have any fear that it's a grizzly or anything of that nature, just black bears in Colorado. We are out of time. Is there information on the website? Yeah, if you go to cpw.state.co.us and you can search for bearware, and that'll give you tons of great resources where you can learn up how to interact with bears if you come in the wild or how to protect your home and become bear secure. All right. Thank you so much, Jason, and thanks for thanks for joining us on that great information. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. You bet. Terry Wicksham Outdoors is brought to you in part by SunPower Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife out in the Rifle Gap, Harvey Gap, and Rifle Falls area, is Brian Pulser. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on. You know what? The sun broke out here. We're actually having a it's a little cool, but a beautiful sunny day. How's the weather out there? Yeah, it, same here. The sun's coming out. It's it's chilly. It's at my house, and I, I don't live too far from the park, but um, we're at about 42 degrees, so chilly start. We weren't much warmer. We were about the same. Of course, it, it looks nicer when it's 42 where you are than where I live. <laughs> it, it is beautiful out here, especially this time of year. Yeah, I've got the, I bet you the leaves are just in their prime, aren't they? Oh, it is. You know, the scrub oak, the, the aspens, they're all changing right now. There's, there's a multitude of colors to look at. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but let's mm-hmm. tell people where the three parks are located in case they're new to the area. Sure. Um, they're all located uh, relatively close to each other. Um, Rifle Gap and Rifle Falls are north of, uh, of the town of Rifle. Uh, if you take I-70 west of Denver, it's going to be on exit 90. And it's about a 15-minute drive north um, north of the interstate. And then Harvey Gap is a little bit further east. It's just north of, of Silt, but all within 10 minutes of each other. And uh, how are the water levels at the, at the lakes? I know the river and the falls run pretty strong all winter, but how is the water at the lakes? Yeah, unfortunately, we had a very hot and dry, just like most of Colorado. And um, Rifle Gap is down 43 feet um, as of now. And 
Um, our boat ramp is out of water, but fortunately the shoreline near the boat ramp is pretty firm. So we're still allowing boats to launch and, and boaters have been pretty successful, but uh, boating visitation is down right now. Um, and, and with the low water levels and, and it typically is this time of year anyway, but great opportunity for paddle sports, canoes, kayaks, and, and paddle boards to, to venture out on a lake because they're not dealing with the power boats right now. Well, and you can do those on both lakes, right? The self-launch, yeah. hand-launch. Now, typically, you, you I think you can do Harvey Gap as hand-launched all year and Rifle Gap, Rifle Gap, I'm right, laws of power boats. But the other thing is you've got a wide diversity of fish in those lakes, and whether you're from shore or just getting out on that water, uh, this concentration of getting those lakes smaller sometimes really can add some diversity to your fishing. Yeah, for sure. We, you know, fishing is a is a big draw um, for people throughout the state, and we've got um, at both Rifle Gap and Harvey Gap, we've got rainbow and brown trout, walleye, smallmouth bass, crappie, yellow perch, bluegill, pike, and then also at, at Harvey Gap specifically, there's also channel catfish and tiger musky. What kind? Of, have you seen some pretty good tiger musky come out of Harvey? Yeah, we have. They they started the program about four or five years ago, um, stocking it with tiger muskie. And uh, at the time, they were only 20 inches, but we're seeing them at that legal limit of uh, of 36 inches and, and greater. So yeah, we're seeing we're seeing them uh, reach that size right now. Well, I know you have a great diversity of fishing up there, and and I know in the winter time I mean, we're not going to be that far away, and those lakes will freeze, and you get some good ice fishing with the perch and the trout, and even the walleyes and pike. Yeah, absolutely. We're hoping for some some really cold, and and we're really hoping for some snow this year. But uh, ice fishing has always been very popular. We'll get uh, on a typical year, we'll get uh, anywhere between ten and fifteen inches of ice. And 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 you're exactly right. The the trout, both species of trout, walleye, um, and and crappie have been have been very successful the last several years. Now, your campgrounds. Do you have year-round camping? We do. We do shut down half the camp ground at Rifle Gap. It's all open right now, um, but we do offer year-round camping both at Rifle Gap and at Rifle Falls. Um, you know, wintertime, pe- people forget how beautiful it is in the wintertime. I know the colors are gone, but um, snowshoeing uh, is a big activity this winter, and you know, winter's going to be here before you know it. And hunters stay at your, your place a lot, too, I think. Yeah, especially if the weather gets turns and, and uh um, if the wildlife come to a lower elevation, which, you know, if this weather keeps up, it's going to be good for us for, for visitation and, and, and getting campers to enjoy our park. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that the colors will be gone, you know, in the winter, but you can still camp. But right now, I bet walking that trail up to uh, Rifle Falls is just incredible. You know, it really is. Uh, Rifle Falls, um, you know, when you visit Rifle Falls, if, if you have some limitations with mobility, the falls themselves are, are very close to the parking area, uh, or if you've got young kids. So that's, a, that's an easy easy hike up, and that's, of course, beautiful as well. But there are additional hiking opportunities um, that go up towards the hatchery. There's a two-mile trail that goes to the hatchery, and that's, that's, that's a wonderful hike and gives you an opportunity to, to check out the hatchery and, and see how the operations work up there. And then there's there's a cascading waterfalls in addition to the the, the the rifle falls waterfalls and that's a beautiful site as well. And then you're not you're not very far from some federal lands where there's OHV trails and things too. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact if you're staying in the in the Sage Loop, you can you can park your, your OHV or 
uh, eventually snowmobile, um, right in a campsite and right out of that loop into the, the BLM land just north of the park. And there's some just gorgeous views. And, and the scrub oak right now is changing colors. And, and you can look right back down south towards Rifle Gap and just down onto the lake. Uh, I know there's not much water there right now, but uh, still absolutely gorgeous views. Well, and and we didn't even mention the fishing in the river by the falls, too. You've got some pretty good trout fishing in that river, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and typically you're going to see brown trout and rainbow trout, but you can also see some cutthroat trout and, and, and maybe some brookies as well. But, yeah, fishing opportunities in Rifle Falls, you know, not, not, not a lot of people uh, know about it. It's kind of a hidden gem, but... Um, when 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 they're fishing, they're they're catching. Yeah, that's awesome. How long do you expect the colors will last there? Where where are they at? We're 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 still in the somewhat early stages, but I would say probably another week and a half. So you've got at least this weekend and next weekend of good fall colors. Sounds like lots of reasons to get up there, Brian. Uh, do a little fishing, enjoy the colors, some camping. Just a great place to go. It's just uh, lots lots and lots to do, and it's so pretty. Absolutely. And then the other thing that we're, you know, wildlife viewing right now is, is also wonderful. The mule deer are out, um, uh, a lot of turkeys, especially up at Rifle Falls throughout the campground. You'll see turkeys and occasionally you'll see a bear up there. Um, just, just a great time of year. And, and if you don't want to fight the crowds uh, that we've seen over the summer, it is slowing down. So um, it's a little more laid back and we like that. All right, Brian, thank you so much. Sounds like a great place. Thank you very much. You bet. That's Brian from Rifle Falls, Rifle Gap, and and the whole area up there. I tell you what, you know, Austin, I know you really, you and I haven't fished that much, but why you listen to him? I don't know why we haven't fished it more. I know. The multi-species opportunities up in the mountains, it's a, a unique opportunity in and comparison these, to other lakes. And with these, he's saying the lake's down, but you can still get a boat on. Yeah. It makes it easy to find those fish. It, it really and does. That, that's, that guy's got to be headed up there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Brad Peterson's going to join us. We're going to talk about Pueblo Reservoir on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to the phones. Uh, in studio with me is Austin Parr, and joining us on the phone now from Boyd Reservoir, he's on the water, is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Terry, good morning, Austin. How are you, Brad? Oh, doing well. So yeah, I, we're going to get a report from Pueblo, but we might as well ask you what's going on at Boyd right now, too. It is setting up for the classic fall bite. The schools of Shad have really come together with colder water temperatures. We're looking at 60 degrees here in this morning. I have been out uh, chasing the white bass and doing pretty good. Are they are they deep or are they surfacing on those schools? It's it's a mixture, but I've been targeting the surfacing fish. That's so much fun when you see those fish boiling. I'll tell you what, I've done that. Um, I've done it a few times. Ronnie Castiglione and I've done it a couple times. I did it uh, years ago. I did a television show out there. And when you get the right schooling, it's almost a fish on every cast, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This this right now, I think the weather's got them a little bit in the funk. And you'll pick up a, one or two fish on a spot, and it seems like that school kind of moves or, or spreads out and you got to kind of go looking for the next slide but uh i'm sitting here on spot lock and actually watching some fish raise and 
two different locations from where I'm sitting. Well, and then, you know, those those shot are going to go deeper pretty soon, too, and you're going to be able to get over them with spoons. And I know, like like the person sitting here next to me in the in the, um, the studio, Austin, you guys, I think if you guys could just fish one lure all year long, it'd probably be like a jigging wrap. So. <laughs> that, yeah, that probably true for me yeah, that's right. with me as well you guys use those a lot and once those shad school and go deep there's it's hard to beat that presentation let's before we run out of time though let's talk about pueblo I wanted to get you on you were down there for a tournament last week and i know the walleye i know you caught lots of walleyes but you didn't catch as many big ones the big ones became harder to find for most people but you said that lake is ready to go through the transition and the wipers seem to already be in transition yeah, down there, it's it's about probably two weeks behind our lakes up here in the metro area and further north in that the fish, the shad just are starting to school up. The fish are still deep, just moving on to that structure. You're right on the leading edge last weekend. So I think with the weather we had this past week and next week, it should be phenomenal. Uh, we caught probably 60 walleyes on Saturday. You know, so if someone wants to go down, catch a bunch of fish, learn how to spoon, you just need to find the structure, mark the fish. Uh, it seems like if there's some bait around there, the fish are a little more active. And then the wipers down there are just phenomenal. Uh, guys are getting them on top water, 8 to 10-pound wipers. I had one try to take about a 17-inch walleye right at the boat. Can't beat that bite. That's one of the my favorites of the entire year. You know, and p- for people, who, you know, because the wipers have kind of cycled down and back again in Colorado. And when you start talking a 10-pound wiper, you're talking a fish with an attitude. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You're When they hit, they hit like a freight train. You better have a good grip on that rod or you may be donating it to the lake. There's been lots of busted tackle from 10-pound and bigger wipers, too. In fact, I think the state record came out of there. Wasn't it like 27 pounds or something like that? I mean, I, I know it's it's over the mid twenties, and we've got potential to you know produce them that big and even bigger down there right now. Now you said that Pueblo's right on the cusp, and you said you're catching tons of small walleyes already spooning and using jigging wraps and Johnny darters, and almost everybody makes one of those uh, those type of baits now. Um, but you think the bigger fish that we should see bigger walleyes moving in because in the fall you get just like in the spring those bigger walleyes become vulnerable down there. Yeah, I think that they'll be moving on the structure as soon as the water temperature is about sixty-eight degrees down there. As soon as that water temperature gets to the low sixties, you'll start seeing those bigger fish going uh, moving to the structure, kind of in that mid Lake Island area, uh, Boggs Flat, some of those areas. There's also You've got the chance of catching big catfish. Uh, you know, Charlie Black went and caught another almost 10-pound blue cat. Well, he holds the, he, state, he the record state record now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a jigging wrap. Yeah, well, you know, and that's I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Both channel cats, blue cats, and I think there's even some flatheads flat in there. there yep. And the, people don't understand. You know, they think you've got to have this stinky bait to catch catfish. Those catfish are going after those shad just like the walleyes, the smallmouth, the wipers. I've caught some wonderful catfish. We almost always catch catfish there and Glendo with jigging spoons. We catch catfish all the time. Yeah, and... They, they definitely were being caught down there. The other thing that is going on, if someone wants to go down there and maybe not fish those the deeper fish, is there is a good crappie bite going on up in Turkey Creek Cove area. And, I saw a, a guy at the cleaning station had a lot of, you know, had a limit of 12 to 14-inch crappies that he caught 
in did, that area. Did he say what kind of depth? Were they suspending deep, or were they still shallow? Um, they were, you know, right now the maximum depth in Turkey Creek is about 19 to 20 feet, and he was catching them, uh, pitching a beetle spin out there. And so I'm guessing they were in that, you know, seven-foot range. Wow, that's awesome. You know, the crappies have cycled back in a lot of Colorado lakes. It's a, it's a fish that uh, Parks and Wildlife is trying to promote more, too. And they're trying to balance the amount of uh, wipers they put in lakes so that they don't, because wipers like to eat crappies. <laughs> <laughs> wipers like to eat everything. but <laughs> Yes, they do, and, and they, they really compete for the same forage base. Um, I'm glad to see that they're managing for crappies. I think that that's a... Uh, a fish that is often underutilized in this state and a fantastic opportunity to get out there, catch a lot of fish, and if you want to keep some, they're the perfect fish to, for a great table fare. So right now, Pueblo, if somebody was going down yet this weekend, where, would you, where, where should they fish? I would tell them to kind of stick around that uh, mid-Lake Shoal or middle island area. Be careful um, as the lake's dropping. The top of that is... Uh, is just only about three, four feet below the surface. So make sure you're going around there a little slow or go out down towards the bogs flat area and just look around for fish. The one thing I will tell you we did find is the fish were preferring like a number seven size over a number nine. It was probably two to one if you downsize to a number seven. Even if you were in 35, 40 feet of water, use that little bit smaller one and you're going to get a few more bites. Certainly something I've seen down there in the past. Yeah. All right, Brad. Well, we'll let you get back and catch those white bass, and we'll get a report on those in a few week, few days or weeks. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Brad. Brad Peterson. You know, Austin, talking about that, I think one of the, you know, if you went through the 90s, you know, we went blade baits, then you saw the jigging spoons take off, and then the blade baits kind of came back. Jigging spoons are really popular. And in the 2000s, we saw the jigging wraps, the Johnny Darters, what they what they call these uh, those type of baits, you know, the, the glide, baits. glide baits. Yep. I, I was struggling on the word. Thank you. <laughs> Almost everybody makes one now. And they were popular for ice, for ice fishing for decades. For as long as I can remember, we used them ice fishing. And a handful of guys in tournaments were using those uh in open water and doing well, and yep. it started to leak out how well they were doing, and now it's it's a rage. Everybody it really does is. it. But one of the things that happens is, in ice fishing, we didn't mind using those little bitty ones, mm-hmm. you know? But people almost look at those as if they're not big enough to go after a big walleye yeah. with or a big wiper because even the big ones aren't big. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're that size 9 doesn't have a very big profile. It's it's lengthy, but, you know, you are not don't yeah. have a lot of girth to those type of baits. But, you know, the, the, we, we mentioned it earlier in, in the show about that big fish we caught. That fish came on a quarter-ounce thin fisher. So, I mean, that's only a, a two-inch bait. And these big fish, they're, they're still targeting that same forage, and you can catch really nice fish on those same kind of size 7, size 9 jigging wraps. I'll bet. And I'll bet, speaking of somebody who catches big fish, looks like Matt Ensley's going to join. Join us here in a minute. We'll take a quick time out, and then we'll join him, and we'll talk some more fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.